Father in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing us here this Sabbath day, and I just pray that you would pour out your spirit in a special way and be with me and give me the words to speak. And may we have an understanding of who we are looking for and waiting for. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. The title for our message this morning is Waiting for the Wrong Messiah. Seventh-day Adventists, by our given name, are looking for the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven. Just as Jesus came the first time, the first Advent to the Jews, we believe that Jesus will come back in the clouds of heaven and every eye will see him. As the lightning shineth from the east even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Scripture is very clear. We're not looking for a secret rapture. We're not looking for a second chance if we've been left behind or a third chance in the new millennium. We know that this earth right now, the life that we live right now is the one and only probation and that a day is coming when probation will close and sometime after that, Jesus will come in the clouds of heaven. As Seventh-day Adventists, we understand that very clearly from Scripture. But could it be possible yet that somehow, despite all of that knowledge, we are somehow waiting for the wrong Messiah? Let's open up to our Scripture reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we will look at these verses again. And we read, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came into the world that He made, and they didn't know Him. You know, 2,000 years ago, you would not have met a Jew who did not look forward to the coming of the Messiah. The Jews longed for the coming of the Messiah who would bring glory to their long downtrodden nation. And you know, the Jews are still looking for that fulfillment. Let me quote to you from a, from a recent Jewish statement that I found from Wikipedia. This is what they say. The world is in desperate need of messianic redemption. To the extent that we are aware of the problems of society is the extent we will yearn for redemption. As the Talmud says, one of the first questions asked of a Jew on Judgment Day is, did you yearn for the arrival of the Messiah? How can we hasten the coming of the Messiah? The best way is to love all humanity generously, to keep the mitzvah of the Torah as best we can, and to encourage others to do so as well. Despite the gloom, the world does seem headed toward redemption. One apparent sign is that the Jewish people have returned to the land of Israel and made it bloom again. Additionally, a major mov movement is a foot of young Jews returning to Torah tradition. The Messiah can come any day, and it all depends on our actions. God is ready when we are, for as King David says, well, redemption will come today if you hearken to his voice. You know, there's a few statements of truth in there. Did you yearn for the arrival of the Messiah? That's true. And 
How can we hasten the coming of the Messiah? And yet, despite all of that, the Jews missed the coming of the true Messiah when he came. Did they not? And here they are, 2,000 years later, still thinking that somehow the Messiah is coming and that they just need to yearn for his arrival and hasten his coming as if somehow he has not yet come. And yet scripture says he came unto his own and his own received him not. How is it that you could wait for the coming of the Messiah for more than a thousand years and when he came not recognize him? Isn't that a scary thought? That the Jews had been waiting for more than a thousand years for the Messiah to come, and when he came, they knew him not. Let me read to you some statements from Desire of Ages. This is page 27. It's from the chapter in Desire of Ages entitled God's Chosen People. And in Desire of Ages, page 27, starting in paragraph 1, we read, For more than a thousand years, the Jewish people had awaited the Savior's coming. Upon this event, they had rested their brightest hopes in song and prophecy, in temple rite and household prayer. They had enshrined his name, and yet at his coming they knew him not. The beloved of heaven was to them as a root out of a dry ground. He had no form nor comeliness, and they saw in him no beauty that they should desire him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And Isaiah 53 is quoted there, as well as John chapter 1. Jesus to the Jews was like a root out of a dry ground. Like you see a root out of a dry ground, it's something that you cast aside and throw away. Maybe you throw it on a, a pile of wood to be burned, but it's not something that you would see as being of value or of having use. That's how the Jews saw Jesus, who was the true Messiah. He didn't have any outwardly good looks, and so they didn't want him. they somehow had missed the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53. That is so clear. And when they saw the type of life that Jesus came to offer them, and of the redemption that he came to offer them, that was not the messianic redemption that they were looking for. Continuing on in the next paragraph, she says, Yet God had chosen Israel. He had called them to preserve among men the knowledge of his law and of the symbols and prophecies that pointed to the Savior. He desired them to be as wells of salvation to the world. What Abraham was in the land of his sojourn, what Joseph was in Egypt and Daniel in the courts of Babylon, the Hebrew people were to be among the nations. They were to reveal God to men. God's chosen people were to reveal God to men. They weren't supposed to hide under a bushel. They were supposed to reveal Christ the way Abraham did, the way Joseph did, the way Daniel did. They were to preserve among men the knowledge of his law and of the symbols of the, and of the prophecies that pointed to the Savior. And when I read that, I can't help but think of Seventh-day Adventists today who are supposed to be preserving a knowledge of God's law and of an understanding of the prophecies that point to the second advent. Amen? 
we are supposed to be preserving the knowledge of God as well. We are supposed to be revealing God to men. Now, what was their problem? Page 28 of Desire of Ages, notice this. But the Israelites fixed their hopes upon worldly greatness. They were supposed to be revealing God to men, yet their hopes were fixed on worldly greatness, not on heavenly things. So yes, they believed in the Messiah, but the Messiah that they were looking for would bring them treasures on earth. The Israelites fixed their hopes upon worldly greatness. From the time of their entrance to the land of Canaan, they departed from the commandments of God and followed the ways of the heathen. Can you, that's unbelievable. God led them to the promised land, yet from the time that they entered Canaan, they departed from God's law, and they followed the ways of the heathen. It was in vain that God sent them warning by his prophets. In vain they suffered the chastisement of heathen oppression. Every reformation was followed by deeper apostasy. So here they are, God's chosen people. They've been led from Egypt to Canaan. They enter into Canaan, and instead of following God and his law, they depart from the commandments of God, and they follow the ways of the worldly heathen nations around them. And when there would be revival and reformation, after the revival and reformation would go away, deeper apostasy followed. Continuing in the next paragraph, had Israel been true to God, he could have accomplished his purpose through their honor and exaltation. If they had walked in the ways of obedience, he would have made them high above all nations, which he hath made in praise and in name and in honor, which is what they were looking for in the first place. Now, in page 29, a few paragraphs down, Ellen White says, While the Jews desired the advent of the Messiah, they had no true conception of his mission. So they wanted the Messiah to come, but they didn't understand the mission behind the Messiah. Now, if you want some, the Messiah to come, but you don't understand the mission of the Messiah, aren't you setting yourself up for failure, to reject him? They did not seek redemption from sin, but deliverance from the Romans. Now notice, when Jesus came, they were in bondage to the Roman nation, and they wanted deliverance from the bondage that they were under, but the reason why they were in bondage to the Romans was because of their continual apostasy of departing from God's law and of following his ways and of listening to the messages of the prophets. And so rather than studying scripture and walking in the way of the Lord, they did their own way because of their life of sin, and God allowed them to come into bondage so that they might seek God and turn to him again, and they simply looked for a Messiah to deliver them from the result of their sin rather from sin itself. Amen. They looked for the Messiah to come as a conqueror, 
to break the oppressor's power and exalt Israel to universal dominion. Thus the way was prepared for them to reject the Savior. So they wanted to continue the way they lived their lives. They just wanted deliverance from the oppression, but it was their sin that had led to the oppression. It had led to their bondage, and they wanted deliverance from their bondage, and they wanted the Messiah to deliver them from their bondage, but they didn't want deliverance from the cause of their bondage. They wanted to keep living like the nations around them, but they wanted to be the greatest nation of all the nations. They wanted to outdo the world, but yet they're God's people. Now, is there something wrong with God's people trying to outdo the world in worldly ways and heathen customs? That's what the Jewish nation was looking for. They wanted to be the greatest of the greatest through the deliverance of the Messiah, and yet that was exactly what the Messiah was trying to deliver them from. So they wanted the Messiah to deliver them into that which he was trying to deliver them out of. They had a completely false concept of what the role of the Messiah was. The Messiah came to save his people not in their sins, but from their sins. And then one more paragraph, page 30. The people in their darkness and oppression and the rulers thirsting for power longed for the coming of one who would vanquish their enemies and restore the kingdom to Israel. They had studied the prophecies but without spiritual insight. Thus they overlooked those scriptures that point to the humiliation of Christ's first advent and misapplied those that speak of the glory of his second coming. Pride obscured their vision. They interpreted prophecy in accordance with their selfish desires. And you know, we put ourselves in a lot of trouble when we, according to our own selfish desires, study Scripture and try to make Scripture fit with our own selfish inclinations. And if you wonder why there's so much trouble in the Christian world today and so many interesting, weird, and crazy ideas about how Christians can live their lives, it's because Christians, rather than letting the Bible speak plainly for itself, try to reason away the plainest statements of Scripture by saying, well, the culture of our time allows for this. May it never be said that Seventh-day Adventists would fall into the same line of thinking. The Jews wanted the Messiah to fit their interpretation of Scripture rather than letting the Scripture explain to them the purpose and the nature of the coming of the Messiah. And when you read Isaiah chapter 53, I mean, we know this chapter is very familiar, but I mean, this is still a forbidden chapter from the Old Testament among Jews today where it says in verse 2, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. They didn't study that verse. They didn't understand that that's how Jesus was going to come. Verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. All of this fits Jesus. We see in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. They did not see that Jesus was coming to pay the penalty for sin so that they could be delivered from sin. 
They didn't study Daniel chapter 9 about how he would come to confirm the covenant with many for one week and how in the midst of that week he would be cut off. And they forgot that Jeremiah chapter 31, let's go there, Jeremiah chapter 31 describes what this covenant would be that Jesus came to confirm. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and and I will remember their sin no more. The covenant that the Messiah was coming to confirm was to write his law into the hearts and minds of his people so that instead of being the old covenant Jews who said all that the Lord hath said we will do, and yet they would go out and continually follow the ways of the heathen and break his law and break his covenant, the Messiah was going to come and bring salvation and write his law into the hearts and minds of his people so that they would stop wandering after the ways of the world. That's what the Messiah was coming to do. He was going to bring deliverance and by delivering them from the power of sin in their lives, it would ultimately lead to the deliverance from the oppression of the heathen nations who had brought them into bondage. That's what the Messiah had come to do. Now we know that. I mean, we look back at the Jews and we say, man, what was wrong with those people? I mean, they were always following the ways of the heathen. They, got, they lost sight of the true Messiah. They didn't follow him. And then you study scripture after that. Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus foretells of the destruction of Jerusalem and the abomination of desolation, which Daniel 9 teaches us, those who rejected the coming of the first Messiah those who did not allow the covenant to be confirmed with them during that one week when Jesus was there for that first half of that last week of the 490, those who rejected that work received the outpouring of the abomination of desolation as described in Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, which occurred historically in 70 AD. Now, if you've been listening with an ear to what the Spirit has to say unto the churches. I think you realize that the experience of the Jews of old can in so many ways relate to Seventh-day Adventists today. Now listen, the Jews had waited for more than a thousand years for the coming of the Messiah. And you would not have met a synagogue-attending Jew who did not look forward to the coming of the Messiah. The problem with those synagogue-attending Jews is that they weren't studying their Bibles properly, or the Scripture. They weren't studying Scripture properly. Now let's make a transition to Seventh-day Adventists. We've been looking for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, for the second time. 
since 1844. According to my count, that's 170 years. And I have yet to meet a church attending, weekly, regular attending, Seventh-day Adventist, who says, oh, I don't want the Messiah to come the second time. With our lips, we are saying, we want Jesus to come back. Oh, we want Jesus to come back. I am looking so forward to when Jesus comes and we'll be delivered from this world of sin and suffering and we'll get to go to heaven where there will be no more sin, sickness, sorrow, death, or disease. Right? right. I mean, that's what Seventh-day Adventists say. Amen. And we're not deceived by these fanciful evangelical ideas about being left behind and a secret rapture and a second chance and a thousand years of peace where you could be converted during that third opportunity. No, 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 no. We understand that Jesus is coming where every eye will see him and as the lightning shines from the east to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. We know that Jesus is coming back literally in the clouds to take his people from earth to heaven. We understand that from Scripture. We know that Jesus is coming again, and we understand the correct manner of his coming, but the question is, for us today, what kind of a Messiah are you looking for? Are we looking for a Messiah to come and deliver us from the result of our sins, that make us frustrated with this present world? Or are we looking for a Messiah that, is, that has promised to deliver us from the power of sin in this present life? Because if you're looking for the wrong kind of Messiah, you may very well miss out on the message that Christ sends to his people to prepare us for the coming of the Lord in the same way the Jews missed out on recognizing John the Baptist who prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah and even the Messiah himself when he came. Are we more interested in getting into heaven than we are in fitting into heaven? Are we simply looking to get out of this world of sin and suffering that we have assimilated to very well so that we, we fit right into this world and yet we're saying God will deliver us out of this world to heaven because I've accepted Jesus as my Savior who died on the cross, yet we haven't accepted all the provisions where he not only offers forgiveness but he offers power to deliver us from our sins. What Messiah are you looking for? Would you recognize and accept Jesus based on what he is doing right now in heaven? You know, people have a tendency to make God fit their own desires and inclinations rather than how Scripture describes God and how Scripture describes Jesus, who is the Messiah. You know, I met someone recently who said, you know, Christians and even Seventh-day Adventists have become like Burger King. Burger King Christians, we want to have it our way. Have it your way. You can have a God like this, I'll have a God like that, I'll have a God like this, you can have a God like that. And yet scripture describes very clearly who God is and who Jesus is. And he is almost always, if not always, so much more than what we try to make him be in our limited human minds. 
and we try to make a God of our own choosing, a God of our own liking, a God of our own making, and yet Scripture is describing what Jesus is doing in heaven right now to prepare people to be ready for him to come. And are you looking to that Jesus right now in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary and cooperating with him in that work? You understand what I'm saying? You know, John chapter 1, our scripture reading, is very appropriate even now. In verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Yes, Jesus is back in heaven right now, but if he were walking the streets of earth right now, would we recognize him? He is the creator, but would we know him? He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He who says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. When people say, oh, I know Jesus, I have an intimate relationship with him, and they're willfully breaking his commandments, that's evidence that they don't really know him. If I say that I love my wife and I'm cheating on her on the side, does that mean that I love her? No, I don't. If I really love her, which I do, and I'm by the grace of God, through his grace, yes, I'm faithful to her, and I'm thankful that I can. I'm so glad that I don't, you know, what kind of a marriage would it be? If I said, you know, I, I, I made a vow to my wife, and we've been married, we've only been married seven years, so I know many of you have been married a lot longer than that, but, you know, seven years. So seven years ago, I got married to my wife. And if I've said, it, what, it, what would it say about our marriage the last seven years? If during these seven years I was like, yeah, yeah, boy, I made that commitment. And I wish I could go around and check other options out, but I'll keep that vow. I mean, would that demonstrate true love for my heart? Or it, shouldn't it be, and this is the way it is, I am so thankful that the Lord brought this person into my life that I have the privilege of being with her and of being faithful to her. Now, how, how is it with Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus, but man, I really have to keep these commandments? Oh, man. Why, why do I have to keep the commandments? that says, thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not kill. Now, most people aren't having temptations to kill or steal. Oh, man, I want to go to the grocery store and steal some produce or whatever. That's not typically an issue, but yet each one of us, there is a commandment that hits to our very nature, our natural inclinations and tendencies. And the question is, have we surrendered our lives to Jesus so that we know him in such a way that we are thankful that he has delivered us from that natural tendency or inclination so that we no longer, to we no longer desire to break that portion of God's law? Do you understand? He was in the world, and the world knew him not. Why did the world know him not? Because they still had a desire to break his law. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Now, verse 14 shows us how we can be born of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came in humanity and took fallen human nature and demonstrated that in this life, you can be connected to the Spirit and live a life that is overcoming and a life that is free from sin. Jesus demonstrated in human flesh what he can make of those who receive him. Now, when we look at the Messiah today, the Jesus who is coming back, it's interesting the parallel. The prophecy that pointed to the coming of the Messiah the first time and of the nature of his work was the 70-week prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, right? So that the Messiah would confirm the covenant with many for one week. He would make an end of sin and finish the transgression and make reconciliation for iniquity, anoint the most holy. All of those things which related to Jesus delivering his people from sin. But when his people rejected him, they received the abomination of desolation. But listen, the 70-week prophecy was cut off from a larger prophecy, right? The 2300 days, which goes to 1844, that's when Jesus entered into the most holy place, which describes the nature of the work of the Messiah before Jesus comes back the second time. And the nature of the work of the Messiah in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary is to cleanse his people from sin. Now, in both cases, Jesus on the cross, Jesus in the most holy place, Jesus was doing a work to deliver his people from their sins. And in the case of the Jews of old, they weren't looking for deliverance from their sins. They were looking for deliverance from the result of their sin. And I'll tell you what. When I travel around these days and I meet Seventh-day Adventists throughout this country and even in different parts of the world, so many times Seventh-day Adventists are looking for a Messiah. They are looking forward to a second Advent because Jesus will come and he will deliver us from The result of our sin, that's what many Adventists are looking for. They're looking for a Messiah that will deliver them from the result of their sin, rather from the power of sin in our lives right now. And so here, let me just give you an illustration. The Jews fixed their hopes on worldly greatness, yet they wanted the Messiah to make them the greatest. It's sort of like having your cake and eating it too. Seventh-day Adventists today profess to be looking for the coming of Jesus, yet in many cases our hopes and our aspirations are fixed upon worldly greatness, right? So our hopes and our dreams for our children are not for them to be workers in the Lord's army. It's for them to get the best, most prestigious education possible so that they can get into law school at Duke University and be a successful, high-income-earning, prestigious member of society that everybody looks up to. And then when we've invested our efforts and our energy in our kids to do that, then we become disappointed when they walk away from God and the church when our focus and our interest was on them being great in the eyes of the world rather than being great in the eyes of God. 
And then we become discouraged and disappointed about how things are going in this world because we fixed our eyes upon worldly greatness. And now because of our sin, we have to deal with the result of our sin, which is to deal with discouragement, frustration, and despondency, whatever it may be. And then we look for Jesus to come and to just take us off this planet and put us in heaven where there'll be no more suffering, discouragement, sin, and whatever. And we aren't looking for that work of soul cleansing that Jesus wants to be doing in our lives. Now listen, if that scenario that I just painted is true of any of you, I'm not trying to belittle you, and Jesus can deliver you from that scenario and can make your life more abundant from now, from this day forward, right? The reality, though, is, is that many times those of us as Seventh-day Adventists, we claim to be marching to Zion, and yet we're living like all the heathens around us, just like the children of Israel of old did. It's about prestige and degrees and what's your status in society and how much money are you making, how much money are you bringing in, and how many houses do you own, and how many cars do you drive, and what are your children doing, and how many schools have they gone to, and what degrees do they have. And it's all about status and prestige and all of these things that really have nothing to do with being ready for Jesus to come. And Jesus is looking for families in the Seventh-day Adventist church to raise their children to love the Lord and to follow him and to be dedicated, consecrated workers for the cause of Christ, not to be rich, famous, prestigious doctors, lawyers, or accountants. And look, I happen to be a doctor. I understand that. But my, my focus in life is not to be a prestigious, rich, famous doctor. That's not my goal. My goal is to use my work to be part of my ministry to help people to be prepared for the coming of Jesus, to be the right arm of the gospel, to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And so we think that we're waiting for Jesus to come back to deliver us from the result of our sin, and yet Jesus is doing a work of soul cleansing in heaven to deliver us from the power of sin in our lives right now. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 and Hebrews 10 verse 16 shows that Christ is doing a work of finishing the covenant. He came to confirm the covenant in Daniel chapter 9 and in Daniel 8 14 the cleansing of the sanctuary is all about writing his law into our hearts and minds so that he can finish the covenant in the lives of his advent people. I read this quote earlier today but it's a quote that we need to hear over and over again. It's Testimonies, Volume 5, page 575. The great plan of redemption as revealed in the closing work of these last days should receive close examination. The scenes connected with the sanctuary above should make such an impression upon the minds and hearts of all that they may be able to impress others. So what Jesus is doing in heaven right now should make such an impression upon us that we would impress others with what Jesus is doing in the sanctuary in heaven right now to prepare a people for his coming. All need to become more intelligent in regard to the work of the atonement which is going on in the sanctuary above. She doesn't say some need to become more intelligent. All need to become more intelligent in regard to the work of the atonement which is going on in the sanctuary above. And that tells me that the atonement was not finished at the cross. If we're living in the anti-typical day of atonement since 1844, then why are we even bothering to be Seventh-day Adventists if the atonement was finished at the cross? Notice, when this grand truth 
is seen and understood, those who hold it will work in harmony with Christ to prepare a people to stand in the great day of God and their efforts will be successful. Do you understand this grand truth? Have you seen and understood it? Because if you have, you're going to be working in harmony with Christ to prepare a people to stand in the day of God and your efforts will be successful. Look, God wants to raise up an army of people, an army of workers here in Minnesota who will see this grand truth and will work in harmony with Christ to prepare a people to stand in the day of God. They will see that Jesus, we will see that Jesus, Jesus is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary working to deliver his people from their sins, to cleanse us from the power of sin in our lives, to cleanse us from these worldly mentalities that cause us to be brought into the bondage and slavery of this world. When we are delivered from sin, we will work in harmony with Christ to prepare a people to stand in the day of God. And our efforts will be successful. Do you want a guarantee of being successful? Follow the, the principles of this quote. By study, contemplation, and prayer, God's people will be elevated above common earthly thoughts and feelings and will be brought into harmony with Christ and his great work of cleansing the sanctuary above from the sins of the people. And when Christ cleanses the sanctuary above from the sins of the people, yes, that means your gossiping tongue and your gluttonous attitude, uh, appetite, and your bad attitude at home with your spouse and your children, and that bad attitude that you bring to the church business meeting. Yes, it means that. You might know the truth, but yet you have an attitude that suggests that you don't know Jesus who is the truth. And Jesus is working to cleanse his people from all of that from all of the bad attitudes and the bad appetites and the gossiping tongues and the lustful thoughts and whatever it may be, that's what Jesus is doing in heaven right now. And listen, when Seventh-day Adventists allow Jesus to do that work in our lives, then the world will really see that there is a balm in Gilead. But when we simply say, oh, Jesus will save us in our sins, and when he comes, he'll deliver us from the result of our sin, and because we believe that he's coming back, and because we accept the fact that he died on the cross, I'm so glad that he'll take us to heaven when that time comes. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, that's not the work that the Messiah is doing right now in heaven. The Messiah is not simply saving us from the result of our sin. No, he's saving us from the power of sin that created that result. And when he delivers us from the power of sin, then that result will be taken away. Let me read you a few other statements. Maranatha 249. There must be a purifying of the soul here upon the earth in harmony with Christ's cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven. God's people are now to have their eyes fixed on the heavenly sanctuary where our great high priest is interceding for his people. Notice that our souls must be purified here on the earth in harmony with Christ's cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven. You know, are Seventh-day Adventists looking for deliverance from sin or 
or del and deliverance from the trials of life. That's what the Jews of old looked for. They were simply looking for deliverance from bondage to the Romans, but they wanted worldly greatness. They had repeatedly followed the idolatrous customs of the world around them, which led them in bondage to the sorrow of this world. And when the Messiah came, they did not recognize in him the fulfillment of Scripture. And I'm sad to say that many, if not most, Seventh-day Adventists have often followed the same pathway of assimilating to the world and following its customs, yet looking for deliverance to heaven without wanting transformation from sin. Are we looking for the wrong Messiah? Turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And you realize that that's the exact opposite of what most Christians teach about the grace of God? Most Christians say about the grace of God that the grace of God allows us to enjoy the worldly lusts of this present age, right? Most Christians say, because of God's grace, I'm covered and I can enjoy the worldly lust that the world has to offer to me. And yet, Scripture says that the grace of God teaches us that we would deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and that we would live soberly, righteously, and godly, not in the world to come, but in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. And you know, it's a blessed hope when we accept the grace of God that transforms us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, and allows us by his grace to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Because when we live that way, then the coming of Jesus is a blessed hope. Do you know why so many Seventh-day Adventists are scared of the time of trouble? Because they know that on the other side of the time of trouble, they're not really ready to meet Jesus who comes after the time of trouble. If you're really looking for the coming of Jesus... You'll be willing to go through whatever trouble it is to get to that blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I mean, Scripture is clear. When we accept the grace of God, we deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. We look for the blessed hope of Jesus who gave himself for us. Notice that he might redeem us from all iniquity. That's the cleansing of the sanctuary and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And I like verse 15. It says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You know, the time has come for Seventh-day Adventists to rise up and preach the message of a coming Jesus who is coming for people who have accepted the grace of God into their lives so that we would deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Now is not the time for Seventh-day Adventists to be lowering the standard and saying, why don't we bring worldly lust into the church so that we can bring more people in? No, no, no. We are supposed to be pointing people to a Savior that delivers us from those very worldly lusts. And the reason why I know 
that so many are waiting for the wrong Messiah is because Jesus tells Laodicea, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The Jews didn't know that they were waiting for the wrong Messiah. And many Seventh-day Adventists today do not realize that they are waiting for the wrong Jesus. Jesus isn't coming to save his people and their sins. Jesus is coming for people that he has saved from their sins. Here's the thing. Just as the Jews of old rejected the true Messiah and they received the outpouring of the abomination of desolation, Seventh-day Adventists who have a wrong understanding of righteousness by faith, who think that they will be saved in their sins and who continue to live a life of looking for worldly greatness and who have become in bondage to sin and are dealing with the results of their sin and are simply looking for deliverance from the result without being delivered from the power of sin, those Seventh-day Adventists are setting themselves up like the Jews of old to receive the abomination of desolation in this modern day, which is known as the mark of the beast. We are living in serious times, friends. Now is not the time to be looking for the wrong Messiah. Now is not the time to be looking for a Jesus that the Scripture never describes. Now is time, now is the time more than ever to be getting to know the real Jesus. The Jesus in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Now is the time for us to know the truth, to know Jesus who is the truth to be spending meaningful, quality time with him in devotions each day. Not so that we're not simply Adventists who know about Jesus and who know about the truth, but we're Adventists who know by experience what it is to know the Jesus of the truth who is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, who is cleansing his people from their sins. And when Jesus comes back, we will be able to say with all of our hearts, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us, because Jesus is our friend. And I close with Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm going to read verses 24 through 28. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now, to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now when it says unto them that look for him, some of the modern translations have correctly pointed out that it's those that look with eager anticipation. Are you looking for the true Messiah? Now is the time to stop waiting for the wrong Messiah because Jesus is not coming back to save people in their sins. Jesus is coming back for a group of people 
that he has saved from the power of sin in this present world. And we have let Jesus come into our lives and we are going out and doing his work. We are feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those who are sick and in prison. And we're doing so out of a motivation of true love for God, not even realizing we're fulfilling the very thing that Jesus said that we would do. Those are the people that will be looking for Jesus with eager anticipation. And so as I close today, I challenge each one of you to make sure that you know the true Messiah and to cooperate with him in his work of soul cleansing because he has promised to each one of us to deliver us from every sin in our lives by his grace. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.